Welcome to the Smartest Amazon Seller Podcast. It's your host, Scott Needham. I've got with me Michael White. If you heard last episode, he has worked with me for uh, many years as a you know sell, uh, buy boxer, but then he went into commodities trading. Then he came back and he started working for Smart Scout and thinks Amazon almost as much as I do. That's just because he's younger than me. Well, um, so Michael, welcome back. Hey, thanks, Scott. Okay, so you saw the news that PharmaPax gave up the ghost. Yes. So why? This is one of, actually, they were, according to like, you know, feedback, the last 30 days of seller feedback, they've been number one for a long period of time. They actually almost doubled number two for a while. So this is pretty big news. And I think there's a lot you can learn from and, and pick apart from PharmaPak's uh, failing and also draw to the conclusion of like why a lot of big sellers struggle. So for everyone to like their business model, they were FBM and they built out a lot infrastructure in their warehouse. We're talking like, you know, labeling machines, like a lot of automation, uh, uh, conveyor belts, expensive stuff so that they could turn out and ship, you know, uh, let's say 20, 30,000 units a day. Not easy to do in FBM, not easy to scale, especially if you're, you know, uh, bootstrapped, but they did start to take on institutional capital, even for a second thought about going public, but had never turned a profit. So a lot of question marks are there. And the biggest question mark of all is like, I don't think you should be running an Amazon business, not making money. This is not the type of business that you hope for economies of scale in the years of the future. I think, especially if you're in the reselling business, which they were, um, I think you have to be profitable now. Have you seen any sellers that have struggled uh, when they got bigger? I mean, gosh, I, we've been in the space. I mean, I've been in the space for like eight years. And I just remember the big names that I remember, you just, you don't see them anymore. And they were, they were juggernauts. And it was like, oh crap, uh, let's stay off this listing. I don't want to deal with them kind of thing. And now like I pull up Smart Scout, I look at top sellers and I don't see these names anymore. Yeah. yeah. No, totally. These guys were like the biggest, I'm thinking names like, and if you haven't heard of these, then you probably weren't selling in 2013, 2014. Um, uh, so there's like Big Fly, yep. toys, and, toys and Games, Think Fast. They e each of them actually have like different DBAs, but they struggle when they get big. And you could even really, you should throw up Buy Boxer as one of these. This is the company that, you know, I've spent a, almost a decade of my life with. And I see why they struggle when they get big. And there's a, there's a lot of things you could say, but like there is a pressure to continue increasing overhead. The moment you start growing and getting, you know, HR, uh, benefits, uh, you know, bigger warehouse, uh, managers, that pressure of those things alone will only get bigger. I don't know if we ever like shrunk those expenses once. I don't know if we ever shrunk. They only went bigger. Sales may not have necessarily changed. Like those would get bigger. And we really, 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 really tried. We tried to get lean. We tried to change the product mix. And, but like the amount of investment per unit generally just went up. Yeah, we made some innovations here or there, but like, I don't know, it's, it's tough. It's tough getting big. You would think that economies of scale would help you, but they don't always. And I uh, have so many big sellers 
have seen this. You can even see this about the biggest aggregators. Two of the three biggest aggregators, uh, Perch and Thrasio, it's kind of well known that they've struggled, done layoffs. So, you know, same method applies. If you get, once you get institutional capital, things just start to look against you. Now that leaves, there's a few, there's two big sellers that you should keep your eye on that like have hit this scale and don't think they have any weaknesses right now. Like they're, you know, uh, that's pattern and spree tail. I brought pattern on the podcast. I might have spree tail pretty soon. So that should be a good story to listen about. I don't know. That's what I brought. I'm it's, it's a trend I'm seeing. And- well, that's, that's interesting. You know, I, I want to reminisce a little bit and hopefully somebody finds value in this. Do you remember the old days when you would, uh, when we would make so much revenue over Q4 that you would almost like, it was like this crazy, it was like stock trading. You would try and let everyone else stock out so that you could be in the buy box and set whatever price you wanted at the end of the day, days before leading up to Christmas. Yeah. There's definitely areas where that's still uh, possible and still done a lot. Um, well, you know, this, this hits into my other point that like, I think the small sellers have an advantage over big sellers and they could be nimble and make like really smart decisions like that on a small scale. And you take thousands of them and I would choose them over, you know, one big guy that can make, you know, ego driven mistakes. Yeah. Well, I'm with you. I mean, this kind of transitions into like how some of the best stock pickers go, right? They're, they don't understand how 100 stocks are going. They maybe understand one of them and that's their specialty. So as a small seller, if you get to know one SKU extremely well and you understand supply and demand for that SKU, there might be opportunity for you and you might really get some good profits. But as you scale up your business, now you have to try and replicate those types of results over a hundred SKUs in order to pay for overhead, all those things. And it just, it just gets a lot harder. The onus gets a lot higher. And of course you can't put in that maybe that same level of of effort and value finding that you could when you were just focused on that one skew. Okay. Well, pharma packs, rest in peace. We will start to see new big guys at the top of the lists. And I'm intrigued. I it's been a while since I've gone through like the top 10 and to see how things shake up. Uh there, you know, there's some really, really, really great businesses up there, even some like Amazon. Uh, first businesses like Anchor. I mean, I think another exit for 600 million happened from a cosmetic brand, Hero Cosmetics. So uh, it's a good space to to be in still. Um, but you know, you, you know, gotta, you gotta you, you, you gotta take your ego out of it, and you gotta stay hungry. That's my opinion. You know, that could be a fun potential podcast is going through the top 10 and talking about if you're bullish or bearish and what we think about their business plans. I actually think I did that my first year, like 2019 of the podcast. I think I, that podcast episode, I put a lot of effort in the first four or five sellers. And I really lost steam after that because uh, they start to look similar. Yeah. Um, but also I didn't have Smart Scout back then to really dig in. And now I can tell a different story about them. So um, that's good. I am getting Spreetail. I actually met with them earlier today. We're getting them on the podcast. So number one and two sellers will have them from their own voice. And then maybe I'll do a recap of what big sellers are doing and which ones that I you know like. So Michael, tell me what you got this week. So every week I try and find a niche that I'm interested in. It's not so much that I'm interested in the niche itself, but like find a niche that's interesting. So here's a niche that I didn't know existed. I don't think you know existed. Scott, dog water bottle. Let me let me get an estimate from you. How much revenue do you think that dog water bottles do as a subcategory every month? Well, you brought this up as it should be interesting. So, you know, I should guess high, but... 
like dog water bottles. I'd say across all brands, I'd go maybe like a million dollars a month. So dog water bottles generate $5 million a month really? on Amazon. Okay. This, these, these water bottles sound like commodities to me because, you know, they don't change too much year over year. You know, they really do. It's definitely who they're marketing to. And a couple of quick searches on TikTok and there was the, the top brand. You're showing your colors as everyone catch up to Michael's life the last 10 years. He's, uh, he was single for many of those years and probably a little bit bitter towards, you know, just all the, uh, I don't know (laughs) what you find when you're in the, in the world of, uh, 22 year old girls that you may or may want not want to date so that's what he means by basic white girl so but i'll I'll say this though they are um i i have nothing against them they are fantastic consumers and this is going to show that building up if that's who you're 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 the customer when you're building out like your customer profile your avatar if it's a basic white girl they 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 like these types of things so five million but get this um this is why this is a niche that is interesting Interesting, but you probably shouldn't hop into it. There are 659 brands competing for those $5 million in revenue. Yeah. So 131 brands per million dollars in sales. So I wouldn't start a brand in this niche unless you can find a way to target really well off Amazon. If you're an incredible TikToker or you're really good at affiliate marketing, this might be for you. Well, um, pet is its own world that people don't realize like, you know, pet is like, uh, it's like baby 2.0. There are more pets in this world per capita. You know, I bet you if you do the uh, pet to baby ratio, you know, that could give the, the, over the last 30 years, it'd be very interesting. And if you would have noticed these trends 15, 20 years ago and built products to serve this, people are throwing money at pets. And so if you know that world, like, man, it's, it's a lucrative repeat purchase driven business. Yeah. And, and it's only growing. It's only growing. Um, so, and, and that's, that's what makes this interesting is like dog water bottles probably weren't even on the radar a couple of years ago. And we're talking about a $5 million month. So $60 million a year in revenue subcategory. So uh, yeah, this week, go explore subcategories well, and let us know what random subcategories you guys find. Interesting that you say this, like we've had this like subcategorized feature inside of Smart Scout where we kind of like, divvy out all the revenue in every single uh, category according to the tree structure of Amazon's categories. That's a very engineering focus uh, way to think about it, but we actually just launched a niche finder. It should be live by the time this podcast goes. And that's basically without the tree structure and allows you to filter to find categories like this very easily. So it's basically filtering all 40,000 at once and one of, my, one of the problems I've had with like competitive tools or just like other like product finding tools is like, they don't really feel like, sometimes they just serve you random stuff and the filters just feel a little bit less like I'm controlling this journey in finding what makes, you know, one category better than another. So, you know, maybe the next episode will take some uh, niches that are interesting from the audience. So if you ever find an, an interesting niche or you don't believe if you find something as unbelievable as dog water bottles, let us know. And even feel free to throw a hard niche at us and challenge us to come up with a success strategy for a very difficult and competitive niche. Because, um, yeah, that, that'd be fun. Um, it's, it's not always easy, though. Some of them are very, very tough. Oh, for sure. I, I think it'd be fun to get, 
get ideas rolling and see if we could get at least like a satisfactory answer out of some of these. So what else do we have on your list? Uh, we got the, uh, what's this pokey yolk mistake proofing? Yeah. So um, the other day I was talking with somebody and we talked about, you know, if you could go back eight years ago, what would you do differently? Like what's, what's the thing that you, you know, now that you wish you could have known then. And this type of question for the most part, it's like, I mean, I've lived like the life I have. So like, there's not a whole lot I would change. I'm happy with where I'm at, but if there's one thing I wish I would have understand, it's this, it's this um, concept of pokey Are you familiar with this at all, Scott? No. Not at all. So it comes from some along the same like lean operating principles. So these are more like if, if anyone in the audience has done anything in manufacturing, they've probably experienced this. But so here's some examples. The idea here is that when you consistently have failures in an operation, it's because the operation itself is at fault. So you try and make it impossible uh, for it to fail. So this was in, in the 1960s this what this kind of came about and so here's an example there was this large press that was used in making of of cars in japan and people kept losing their arm because they'd be moving stuff around getting stuff situated under this press hit the button and then go to touch one more thing and their arm would get stuck underneath it and just get get flattened i won't get too gruesome here but they had multiple employees lose their arms so what they do they change the machine so you had to push one button with each hand at the same time in order to close the machine and they went from you know uh losing limbs all the time to losing zero zero limbs because they had limited the ability of that they made it essentially impossible to fail now how do we apply this into the business world how many of your operations or how many times when we are maybe, whether it's in the warehouse or in your operations or in how you manage your account, you're spending so much time training people when really you should just revise your operations. The idea here is that making better operations is way more cost-effective than training people. Like you can have your eighth safety training seminar of the week, or you can find a way to do things safer. You can have another rule about how not to get your account suspended on Amazon, or you can essentially set up processes within your business to make it impossible for that to happen. So I think that's something that we, I wish I've I done this. I've done this twice. We were getting our shipping suspended because uh, like some of the big reasons were like boxes over 50 pounds and the labeling wasn't always legible. And so we've done a few of this, like we're like, okay, no, pro, no uh, shipments over 40 pounds. That was our, inter our internal rule that we just kind of put a hard cap on that. And then we made every single box. People had to like write the amount of pounds on it. Yeah, it sucks to kind of do some of those things, but you know, it's better than like going home for a few days because our shipping got suspended. Our Amazon account, we sort of just invest so much more to be so proactive in everything. And so that, you know, we want to be as far away from the line as possible. And even then, I still think we could have done a better job. But I, I hope I, there's a little bit of that there where like, it's just not possible for us to get suspended. And if we got suspended, we actually built out some of the relationships. Other, you know, uh, consultants, uh, people know I've had Riverbend on a few times. I've had Chris McCabe. I've had um, people that really know how to like navigate the machine that we can we can do it you know another person that we've used we actually had a, an am we used amazon sellers lawyer there's a few lawyers that like also can do some different things and you know they've gotten at us 
uh, out of jail real fast. And so it's nice to have like those options before you get suspended yep. or, or you get your top listing yanked or like whatever, you know? So a lot of interesting ideas there that are apply. Fortunately, we're not getting our arms ripped off at least. So we think, well, um, I actually know that you have more on our list to cover, but um, I, this is more than enough for a, a solid episode. Um, one thing that this actually is kind of proves the example of like why a podcast is awesome. I brought Daniel Tejada from uh, Straight Up Growth to talk about it. And he really simplified what it takes to rank on Amazon in this new world. You know, there's no like search, find, buy, the giveaways. I never was huge into that. Yeah, I talked about it. I think it's very interesting, but it was just always felt like black hat to me. There is, so Daniel talked about that, like ranking on Amazon is as simple as getting a good conversion rate and a ton of sales. You do those two things. You like Amazon is, is forced to bring you to the top. And that got me thinking with all my private label products, I want to rank these on the most relevant search terms. And I want to be ranking the top three and uh, preferably number one. And so I actually took our rank tracker in Smart Scout, turned it into what we call the rank maker. This rank maker is a view of just that. You view all your search terms where you have ranking. You see your advertising spent on each keyword at a time. And then we show you your conversion rate right there. That's it. You know, uh, it's kind of like a, a one-two punch. I don't know why no one else has built this yet. But half the time that we, we do something, I'm like, how come no one else has done this? And so we have a view in our rank tracker, which I'm going to try and rebrand and just to call it rank maker, where the entire goal of a rank tracker is actually not to track. You want to like, you want to make ranks. So to kind of build that out and show, uh, make it a, a, an addictive way to like uh, chase better ranks on Amazon. So that's how we'll uh, finish this episode. Just a little mini announcement of a, you know, reinvent of, of inventing something out of nothing, taking a podcast idea that uh, we talked about here and making it something unique. Yeah. It actually took me two months to build this, but like, well, we wanted to build it right. And it's, it's good. It could be a little bit better. And if any of you guys have any feedback, you know, let us know, but um, that's that I, uh, let's see, you know what, Michael, I, d I didn't end the, ep the last episode asking my favorite question. What is the most important, what is your favorite tool that you use in your, you know, any, any piece of software? What's your favorite one? I mean, this is going to be really, really boring, but it's got to be Google Sheets. I, I think I've got, a, I've got a Google Drive full of Google Sheets that most of them even have notes on them. So uh, that's uh, whether they're notes or quick calculations. I think I, I, I'll always build a sheet for that if, uh, if I'm ever asked a compelling question. That's uh, funny. Uh, I can't wait for someone to say Gmail. Be like, oh no, <laughs> Gmail just changed my life. Good, love it. That's a good plug in for plug for like something that everyone should and could use more. Uh, I use Google Sheets in a lot of business decisions, and uh, it's just easier and better than like uh, all these productivity tools out there. Okay, all right. Thanks, Michael. Thanks everyone for listening. Uh, stay tuned. Uh, next week, we are going to reveal more secrets. I, what secrets are they? I don't know, but they're going to be good. All right. Take care, everyone. See ya. One, two, three. Yeah!